Welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast, where we help supplement and functional food brands create better products. Today's host is Todd Runstead, Senior Editor. So, yeah, let me just start off. Uh, how long you've been growing? How many acres you got? Yeah, so this year we're only doing 15 uh, acres just with the oversaturation in the market from uh, 2019 growth season. Right. Uh, last year we did 85 acres. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, actually over 85 acres. Uh, and it was one of those had contract in place. And then, you know, we all know what happened with a lot of the extraction companies that didn't weren't able to meet their commitments. And so just with that, we, like most everyone I'm talking to right now, scaled it back for this 2020 growth, mm-hmm. just let the, trying to let the market sell out. Right, right. Yeah, well, there's, it sounds like there's a lot of market settling at happening. Um, yeah, but, at uh, every level in the vertical. And then, you know, on top yeah. of that, coming into 2020, you know, by March, we, right when... Uh, you saw sales starting to tick up in the sales retail channels. Uh-huh. Uh, COVID nineteen hit, right? Then right. basically took us back to what the winter months were looking like. Because I know mm-hmm. after Thanksgiving, even on the retail side, things things started to slow a little bit uh-huh. as we're getting towards Christmas. Right. Right. Huh. Yeah. Um. How uh, How long have you been growing for? Uh, so th- with the team I got in place, this was our second year. Okay. Uh, overall experience of the team, we probably collectively got close to 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, my team consists, especially on the growth side, we brought in experienced growers. Uh, uh-huh. So two of the guys tr- uh, relocated from Colorado uh-huh. uh, to Tennessee uh, in mm-hmm. uh, 2019 to grow with us. And then my lead farm manager, Gray Pendergrass, he's been in the industry for close to 10 years, going back to, as soon as he graduated from high school, started going out to Colorado uh, mm. and working in indoor, outdoor grows, just really understanding and getting close and understanding the plant. And so he moved back uh, to Tennessee to help his father get into the business in 2015. I want to say 2016, as soon as the first the pilot farm bill was signed. Yeah, yeah. And and then goes back and forth. He's even consulting now in Oklahoma. And so wow. we got a very experienced team in place. Cool. And, like I was saying, you know, we've been together for two years now. Cool. And I then, guess- you know, Real quick, one, you know, I, uh, so this is officially my second year, but I uh, spent 2017, 2018 uh, volunteering my time at the various farms in Middle Tennessee amongst the Tennessee HIA members, just getting my hands dirty in the soil, trying to understand what I was getting into from a growing side. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Um so have you had previous experience with other farm crops? Uh, no, not uh, directly. I have a product management and technology background. So mm-hmm. if you 
look me up online, that's pretty much the buck of the story that you will see working at various Fortune 500 companies. Um, and, you know, the closest I would get to farming before this time is I did grow up um, on my family's farm down in West Tennessee. My grandfather, he was the last farmer in the family. And, hmm. and this we're going back to the 70s now. And at that time, there was definitely a shift going on to the larger farming operations. And so oh. they were always telling me, go to college and get you a good job. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so it's kind of ironic now. And my grandparents, are, you know, have passed over now. But I know they're up in heaven just smiling right now. It's like, no, nah, look at you. <laughs> you hey, back, hey. Going back to your roots. <laughs> right. That's excellent. You know, I, I talk with hemp farmers. And, you know, for those who experience the gravy train of like 2015, 16, 17, they were making money. Right. Um, yeah. But but there's something else. And they all talk about passion. They talk about purpose. And then there's this one thing that I don't think you'll ever hear a corn or a soybean farmer talk about. And they talk about love. What are your thoughts on hemp and you and love? Well, you know, when we talk about that, you know, I share with anyone who's interested having a conversation with me about, hey, want to grow hemp. And first thing I say, if you're getting in it for the money, <laughs> you're going to huh. fail. And that's the wrong <laughs> reason to be growing hemp. Uh, so when we start out with love, you know, my story with hemp really starts in 2013 when Dr. Sanjay Gupta did the first Weed One episode on CNN. Right, right. And my grand, I mean, my mother has dementia and lupus. Mm. And at that time, we had already been on that road for almost a decade and just going from one medication to the next. Mm. Um, and even when I say that 10 year run, my mother had dementia probably 10 years prior. However, it was going through the different tests, them saying, well, let's try this drug. We think she has this to finally at the end, they're saying, oh, now after her quality of life has diminished, oh, she has dementia. And it's like, it took you this long to figure out what it was. And so just being fed up um, with her being on all the different drugs was looking for anything. And so one of the things that I saw was Dr. Gupta was doing this show and my entire family being my mom, I mean, my, my father, my sister and I were all at our collective houses watching the show on the phone. And when that show ended, I just really did a call out to the universe and said, Lord, I want to be a part of that. And that's when I started researching. And at that time, you couldn't find anything on, you know, if you Googled hemp, you pretty much saw something about marijuana. And it was very yeah. little information or even on what the Stanley brothers were doing at that time, because that was their IP and it was top secret, right? right. And so <clears throat> looking online, plus doing research, I started traveling um, and, you know, getting back to the, the love of him, um, one, the love of my mother is in the 
compassion that I have for her is what keeps me up running with this, wanting to make this industry a success every day. You know, if it was about the money, the 2019 season would have threw us out of the game, just like it has a lot of other companies. If it was just about the money, it's, it's and one of the things I share with my team, and it's a personal thing for me, this is bigger than me. Uh, not only am I trying to find a solution to increase the quality of life for my mom, I want to be able to impact well beyond that, even when we just talk about someone's health, but then the environment. And, you know, as I got deeper into the understanding of what all this total plant could achieve, that's when it's waking up like, no, this is good. It's carbon's zero carbon footprint. Um, so we can clean up our environment, not only the air, but the land itself and the remediation that it does. I mean, it it really just opened my eyes. And then, of course, when you really go back and look at your research of what this crop meant over the centuries and how leaders of government felt that Thomas Jefferson, et cetera, uh, England requiring you, you would get, you know, penalized if you didn't grow him. It was legal in the United States that you had to grow him. And, you know, and so when we talk about love, it starts with my mom, but it, it's a love for the community and the environment as well that keeps driving me. Yeah, that's cool. It, you know, here's another word. And and it, it comes from the story of a farmer that I've talked about here in Colorado. His son went to an Aggie school, but he didn't really feel it. So he kind of he went to the city and he got a corporate job until his dad planted hemp. And mm -hmm. then his, his son said, hemp, hemp, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to the farm for hemp, dad. And, <laughs> and, and so here's the word. Here's the word revitalization. And yes. so I, I think of revitalization of family farms, of rural communities, of individual farmers themselves. So what do you think about hemp and revitalization? Uh, you know, I just had this epiphany literally in the last couple of days where a vision came to me of how, you know, the United States started out two centuries ago, maybe I'll go back and say it was an agriculture uh, industry and culture, agricultural uh, environment. Then we transitioned to the industrial age. And the vision that I saw was where everything was about the family farm during those agriculture that you, you fed yourself. Even me growing up in the uh, 70s, pretty much we only thing we bought from the store coming out the gate was flour and butter and, and milk. It was the only pro everything else was grown. <clears throat> and prior to that, when my mom was coming up, they, she was doing, they were doing their own soap. They were still milking the cows at that time, like literally. Right, right. So the only thing they would buy from the store was flour. Mm, <laughs> and, right, right, excellent. But what the vision that I saw was how all the roads left the farm and the traffic flowed into the cities. And now what you've seen is all these tax incentives just from me working in corporate America, and I've led some of the efforts for corporations to get some of the tax incentives for them to go build a big business. You promise to bring in X number of jobs, and then you don't have to pay taxes for 
who knows when, right? Yeah. That effect was depleting the rural communities. And even mm. when most people think rural, the average person you say rural, they're going to think the suburbs. And I always say, no, that's not the rural area. The rural area is when you can't get on the network and uh, or <laughs> you can't get a yeah, cell yeah. connection. When you can hear the crickets and can't get a cell phone connection, that's when you're in a rural <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And, and so what we need to do when I think revitalization is we got to start sending that money and that some of that traffic back towards our communities that are out in the rural areas. Because we've literally, from an economic standpoint, depleted all that. And we created this mad situation that me as a kid, the choice for survival that my grandparents saw for me was to instill in me, hey, you need to run where this is flowing and go get that college degree and get you a good job because there's not going to be anything viable here on the farm for you. And we need to switch that because that the agriculture is the legs in which we stand on as a country. And to me, hemp, with all of its different applications that was cut off through the other political and other things back in the 40s and even before that, it has caused a, a lot of the issues, both socially and economic, that we have today. Right, right. Cool. So you've really been paying attention to this, you know, through the initial surge and, of course, through this last year's oversupply. And there was something that you said just a little while ago that you you wanted to kind of get your fingers in the soil and kind of, you know, see what you're getting yourself into. And so I'm just wondering, you know, do you get your fingers into the soil and, you know, what what feelings do you get when you just dig into the good earth? You know, when you see that hemp crop thrive on the farm, is there anything like it? Now, I have to be honest, I'm not in uh, soil every day. I got a team that's in place doing that. But trust me, yeah. I am at least once a week out there uh, smelling and feeling <laughs> what's yeah. going on. Uh, and, and so, one, I, I get my hands dirty. Um, and that's like out the gate. We uh, rented a brand, at least a brand new farm this year. And they had plastic still down from the previous last season. And mm-hmm. so literally, no, I'm out there pulling plastic. Like, right. and, and and so <clears throat> the feeling that you get out there brings me back to childhood. It's like being one with nature, you know. Um, there's a blessing in that silence because you can think out there and when you got your hands working on something, I don't know, there's a peace that comes from that. Um, yeah. It, and it allows you to reflect on what's truly important. And then there's wisdom that comes because being one with nature, you, you this, the, the butterflies flying by and just, <laughs> uh, it's, I don't know, it's, it's just a spiritual thing. Um, or being out there early in the morning, one of the most beautiful pictures that I took last season was the sunrise. And it, just was like being one with God and seeing his beauty and his nature in it in its truest form form yeah yeah that's awesome um are, are you growing off for CBD is that 
Uh, uh, currently, we are growing strictly for CBD from a company standpoint, uh, Verge Agritech. We are investigating and working on definitely the fiber side, industrial hemp side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The house, but just from um, the day-to-day -day operations right now, it's strictly for flower and CBD production. Yeah. So... Yeah, you mentioned Verge Agritech, but then there's Hemp 10. What, what's the difference? So uh, Hemp 10 is the uh, legal name, but we got a DBA, Verge Agritech, which is okay. the marketing brand of the company. Gotcha. So you benefited from investors getting your farm up and running. Uh, is that right? Uh, and I'm just wondering if that's right. What do you think attracted investors to you? Uh, so one, we wouldn't even be where we are today uh, without investors, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, uh, especially having uh, done as much as many acres as we did last year. It definitely took um, one to answer your question, having people believe in us mm -hmm. um, just from pure just business and private equity world and investing you know, typically when someone has an idea, it's more about believing in the team that's going to execute on that idea than the actual idea. Yeah, right, and, right. And so I, I have to, you know, thank um, the group of investors that did take this risk with us because I, I truly know that they, and they're still sticking with us given the season that we had, that no, they, right. they're believing in the team, right? Uh, yeah. But then each one of our investors has a story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you know, it's like we all are a common connected community that they, even my executive team and, and my business partners, each personally has a family member that they were already providing CBD for. Uh, and right. that's been that common bond that has kept us intact as well, you know, because this, you know, personally yourself and that this uh, business is still in its infancy state. We're still in the gold rush mm -hmm. of an right. industry. And, right. you know, there might be years from now before you're truly making a profit in this. And so if you're going to be able to stick with it, you got to have people who believe in you and have their own passion for wanting to see this industry be successful. And I feel that uh, everyone that I'm associated with, it, we're all aligned on that. That's cool. That's awesome. And don't you also have a relationship with a local college? What's that about? Yeah, so uh, Lane College, we would not have been able, you know, that's the fifth man on the team if this was <laughs> basketball. Yeah. Um, we would not have, or the sixth man, whichever one it is, but we would not have been able to get our operations and that plan executed last year without Lane College. It's a historically mm -hmm. black uh, HBCU, historically black college university in Jackson, mm -hmm. Tennessee, which Jackson, Tennessee is my home in West Tennessee. Uh -huh. um, and out the gate, we were first initially talking to them about doing some research um, along with us as we're planning genetics uh, and trying out different things on the farm. 
and uh, Dr. Logan Hampton is the president. And just to show you the love and the advocacy, because they're like when I say everyone who we're connected with uh, sees the bigger picture and wants this to be successful. And so not only when we will be having meetings about research, he's like, so what else you need? What else do you need? Yeah, and at yeah. the time, you know, doing 85 plus acres, you need a lot of manpower. Right. And and just being transparent, I always try to be transparent with people that I'm working with. Uh, and so I told him, hey, you know, we're having to work to bring in H2A workers to augment because it's hard for us to get local resources. And the biggest challenge with that is, you know, we brought in 30 workers uh -huh. from Mexico. Uh -huh. Like, where yeah. do you house them? They got to be fed. <laughs> I mean, like, right. that goes into that. And, you know, from a timing standpoint, um, the dorms would have, you know, they had dorms that would be empty, but he could make their, uh, you know, food services available. So literally, wow. they opened up the doors and we were able to house our um, workers on campus, gave us a meal plan, uh, allowed the guys to be able to use the pool, et cetera. And so, wow. uh, you know, whenever I would tell people that deal, you know, it's like, well, because the first question is when I'm saying, yeah, I got yeah. 30 H2A workers, the first yeah. question, how are you housing them? It's like, All man. Right. <laughs> A godsend, oh. man. <laughs> Lane College. Right. And then also, you know, I'm actively talking uh, with my alma mater, which is Tennessee State University. Um, I got my undergrad in economics and finance from there and also got my executive MBA from TSU. And one of the uh, one of my cohorts is also the dean of the uh, engineering school of engineering um and so actually college of engineering and so been talking with them about how can we start you know getting back to the industrial hemp side partnering on some uh projects to move the needle there as well cool um yeah you know that's that's the really fascinating part that, that I see about hemp. You know, we were talking a little while before about, you know, your the family farms and the rural communities uh, and, and that side of things. But then on the other side, there's this like the end product potential. And so right now, you know, it's really just uh, to, to a large degree, just focus on just the medicine aspect, the, the, the CBD. But it has the potential to really disrupt so many industries out there you know it, it's uh it's really amazing how it could really help on both sides you know when you say that to me and you hear this word total plant yeah and it's it's a little bit more than just when we say total plant i.e yes the plant in its entirety can be used minimal waste of this product or this plant material. Mm -hmm. And so as I try to explain it to people when I'm talking to them, hemp is everything. It's mm -hmm. building, construction. Uh, when we say dairy, hemp milk, you know, if you 
I my vision is in the next five to ten years, I can walk off into a Starbucks and say, hey, I'm looking for hemp. And they say, oh, are you talking about hemp coffees with CBD in it? Mm -hmm. Are you talking about the tables that we're now putting in, in our stores? Yeah. It's the woodwork that you see on the wall. Actually, that's hemp. I mean, like, yeah. literally. Uh, if you walk into a Forever 21, it's a similar story where they're saying you want the men's or the women's section. And look at how we've retrofitted our stores to bring in renewable, sustainable materials. Hemp is everything. In fact, I would even say, you know, we're hearing a lot about this Green New Deal. Yeah. Hemp is the fuel for the Green New Deal. Mm. Because if I go into a Publix or Kroger's or whatever the store is in your area, that's the major brand. And they today they say paper or plastic. It really should be which version of hemp do you want? You want the biodegradable plastic version or do you want the paper version? But it should be hemp. Right. That's awesome. Um, you know, j just a. Just the last thing, since it, it just strikes me, um, you know, now's the time to ask this question since we've seen the, uh, the the boom year of like 2018 and then all of a sudden the glut of last year. And so, you know, I guess the question is, what's so special about hemp that makes farmers thrive and what's holding it back? Um, you know, you probably talk to the basic farmer, average farmer, um, you know, their industry just from a row crop production has been destroyed economically mm -hmm. with prices so being corn. You know, they're getting cents on the bushel, acre, tonnage, whatever. It's cents yeah. on the dime, right? Yeah. Uh, and what hemp originally and why you have in the state of Tennessee, uh, the bulk of our TNHI members are, far, are from the farming community. Mm -hmm, right. And what drew them, not only having a story, but the fact that hopefully they can bring a little bit more money off into the family farm to be able to pay for college education, to get the new tractor, et cetera. Um, right. And so it was really saddening and disheartening more so to, for me personally, you know, for that family farm that... Yeah. Were, were impacted by the 2019 growth. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you say, well, what is holding it back? It's government. I think everyone would agree that it's government not having a plan and fully, you know, we say we're a free market and uh, an open market is the other term we'll say. Yet the regulations that have been, you know, everyone was really putting a lot of weight into this 2018 farm bill that gave us our first commercial year in 2019. Mm -hmm. However, from the USDA standpoint, we still, you know, the internal final rules is still being battered around. There was, you know, with the testing, the DEA, uh, the total THC being point three versus right. focusing on Delta nine, just all of this confusion with that. Right. And then we got FDA, which still to this date haven't formally um, given us grass status where we're generally recognized, accepted, right. you know, 
product. Right. Well, if we could get some clarity on all of those fronts, i.e. let the farmers be farmers, the farmers who I know that are getting in this and not trying to grow marijuana, they're growing yeah. to be able to feed their family, loosen the rules. Another thing, even when we say loosen the rules with the uh, total THC issue, uh, this is not corn. And the way I, and reason I say that is by the time the settlers start growing corn, the American Indians had already stabilized genetics on that. Right. We're still stabilizing genetics and we'll fit and figuring out what grows where and, and how, what type of genetics we need where. So we need them to just loosen the reins and let us go figure out this crop. But then we need companies like the Pepsi's of the world, uh, <clears throat> Nestle's of the world to have the legal, like the laws in place that they feel that they're not putting their companies at risk right. by putting this product in their uh, or putting this ingredient in their product when we talk about CBD. And until the FDA kind of comes out and say, well, what's the recommended dose per day and all of that detail, it's going to hold up things. But if we say had all of that in place right now, I don't feel 2019 the oversupply would have been there. Because if Pepsi, Nestle, right. if Kroger's had it in multiple different product lines, because even if you think about the grocery market, there really hasn't been a true introduction of a new product in probably about 40, 50 years. Hemp right. changed the game, just like I was giving the example earlier about going into a Starbucks of Forever 21. Now, now let's go into a Publix or a Kroger's and hemp is across the board in the milk it's on some chips i mean like every product you can think about that's food related and drinks right. sodas uh juices i mean yes teas i i, I could continue on like because it's in it would be in everything because every company would be trying to figure out how to introduce this into their various product lines or coming up with brand new product lines. Our, 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 our barns and our warehouses would be empty right now if we had clarity on the rules. And, and really, less government is where we need to be. Right. Uh, for example, in-state, why are we still getting licenses from the state to grow hemp? I don't need a license to go grow corn and soybeans and cotton. Mm. And then when we talk about uh, remediation and revitalization, look at all the pesticides and herbicides that we have to use on cotton that is just destroying our soil. Yeah, bring on the future already, huh? Please. <laughs> and you know, and it's really, um, there's nothing new under the sun. We're just needing to go back to what was working before and has worked for centuries. Yeah, right. It's not this is not reinventing the wheel. That's the thing about him. This is proven. <laughs> right. There is there is data. You know, people keep saying there's no data out there. No, just go back before prohibition on this. And there was a lot of data on this. Cool. Well, you know, I know uh Tennessee's kind of a leading state. We have this thing out here called the NOCO Hemp Expo. This guy, Morris Beagle, runs it. And then they have what's called the Southern Hemp Expo or 
Noco South, he likes to call it, and that's in Tennessee. So I always I always think of Tennessee, of course, with Kentucky as being kind of uh, the leaders along with us out west, you know, here and in Oregon and California is kind of a whole different animal. So, right. um, you know, it, it, it's good to see that that you're you're in the mix and uh, and good luck to you this season, Frederick. Yeah, no, thank you. And uh, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. You know, anything else that I missed that you'd like to bring up um, that I could consider? No, just uh, outside of just reiterating the fact that um, we need to open up the market to um, get this product out to the world. But then the other side is that, that we hadn't talked about is the education side of it. Mm. Um, the theme that you will see amongst all of us, even the people who are buying the supplements, mm-hmm. is that they have a personal story. Yeah, right. Uh, but typically that came from them talking to someone who brought them on board. Right. Nationally, we need more education, mm. uh, both legislatively and the government. Uh, consumer base needs to be educated about the benefits. I would even say uh, the medical community. Uh, I champion all of the people in the medical community who have come on board to these holistic options that are being made available, but we need more of them to get on board with providing research and showing the advantages that I'm sure they'll find once they dig off into the detail. Right, yeah, that's a really good point. I appreciate that. Thank you for listening to a Healthy Insider Podcast. We are continually looking to improve your podcast experience and want to hear from you, the industry listener. Please take a moment to take our quick survey and provide your feedback at naturalproductsinsider.com slash podcast survey.